Hi, I'm Leighton Orient striker Matt Harold, and you are listening to the Just Checking In podcast. Hello again, listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. As always, I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and I'm the founder and editor-in-chief of Vent. As you may know by now, each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they're passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we'll discuss it. On to my special guest now, and this is someone who's been a mental health advocate for much longer than me, has challenged traditional ideas around what it means to be a man in modern society, and is spreading that message of positive masculinity on a day-to-day basis. That man is Mr. Paul McGregor. Paul is a public speaker, a guest lecturer at the University of the Arts London, and founder of the digital platform Every Mind at Work. He's also a fellow mental health advocate, and is someone I look up to a lot for the work he's done over the past few years as well. Paul, Welcome to the Just Checking In pod. Firstly, how are you doing, mate? Good, what an intro. Oh, mate, I have to make these intros great. I have to make them what amazing. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Hope the rest of the pod goes well now. Um, so for the listeners who, who might be wondering how we know each other, this is actually meant like many podcasts, the first time we've properly met, but we actually connected on Twitter like most mental health advocates, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so now we've got that out of the way, shall we get started? So I thought we'd get straight into it today, Paul, um, with our first topic of discussion, which is your own mental health journey. Now, you've talked very openly about your dad taking his own life and how it was that spark for you to wanting to do something for your own mental health and men in particular. But for the listeners who haven't heard your story, just tell us a bit more about it, if you could. Of course. So um, I always kind of say that for the first 18 years of my life, um, you know, mental illness just didn't even enter my mm. um you know, your atmosphere, okay. basically, yeah, yeah, your vocabulary, kind of, everything. You know, mental illness for me was just something that would never affect me, never affect my family. It was um, abstract. Yeah. yeah. And and then until it did, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with, and it affected my dad. Um, he just pretty much overnight changed behaviours dramatically. Mm. Um, kind of looking back on it now, he went from the dad who was a runner a full-time employee as an engineer, you know, he meditated, he ran, he was healthy to just being broken, just Mm. completely broken. And he went from the change in behaviours to attempting suicide about seven days later. Mm. So it really was pretty much literally overnight in that sense. It wasn't a course of two months, maybe. It was literally seven days. But this is the the thing. Now I look back on it and knowing what I know now, it was a gradual process. Mm. But we didn't notice the more subtle behaviour changes. We We only noticed the dramatic wow, I feel terrible, you know, this isn't going the right way. Mm. Um, We're very lucky that, you know, he escaped or he he survived that attempt. And when he survived the attempt, he just denied it. Mm. Um, Denied it happened or denied denied the extent of it? Okay. Um, Now, my dad was very holistic, you know, he never took paracetamols, Mm. he never took, you know, any kind of medication. And when he went to the doctors, they gave him antidepressants. Mm. Now, antidepressants, one of the side effects is suicidal thoughts in Mm. the first two weeks. So that's what we kind of put it down to as mm. well. You know, my dad blamed the medication. We mm. believed him. We mm. were like, mm, okay, if this is someone who doesn't take any drugs, 
to now these antidepressants. And when we read the packet, it says suicidal. And it's on the box. It's actually yeah, on the box. On wow. The box. Okay. And then, you know, he says it was the medication, you know. So, um, honestly, when my dad came home from the hospital, he was in there for a couple of weeks, sort of from his physical injuries. Mm. Um, I honestly, we thought it was over, mm. you know, like the nightmare's over. Like, mm. dad will snap out of it. Dad will just go back to being normal. And it's like that step um, back to normality. Exactly. Yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, maybe you've escaped there. It mm. was the medication. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, kind of long story short, he then got, he got worse. Um, behaviour is massively different mm. he ended up feeling very suicidal so he sectioned himself he sectioned himself in what, what does that what, how did that entail basically so he he became quite my dad was never a violent person but he became quite violent at one point and mm. um, sort of in his words or actually physically mm, more he, I think he felt violent he, okay. he never laid a hand on any of us just sort of he was on edge that yeah, sort of thing snapping at people and yeah, stuff like that yeah there was a yeah. time that I remember just before like he did end his life that you know he did raise his fist to me and it was because I was stopping him from leaving the house mm. and that sat with me for a long long time and that was a couple of days before he did did take his life but mm. then but then when I see that it was almost like my dad was this this demon mm. in his eyes and then all of a sudden it's so hard to explain but his eyes switched mm. and my dad was there mm. and he sat back on the bed and kind of went back to being who he was mm. um so he, he ended up being in a mental health unit for i'd say around in and out about three four months mm-hmm. um and that was our real first exposure to mental illness mm. you know my dad's in this mental health unit which was five minutes from where we lived we didn't even mm. know it was there um you know, he's kind of sitting there in the corner doing crosswords mm. and you've got people in there with borderline personality disorder, psychosis. So the spectrum was very much on one hand here and one end here. Yeah, yeah horrible yeah, place. Yeah. Honestly, hor- horrible, horrible, horrible place. Um, yeah, and, and just seeing my dad in that environment was just nasty. Mm. How did your mum rationalise it to you? Because I imagine at the time you were a teenager, so or young I was, adult. I was 18. 18, yeah. okay, so young adult sort of years. Mm. I mean, were you at the stage where you could understand at least his situation or were you still very much like, well, what is this place? You know, why is he here when these people are clearly on a much worse scale? Do you see what I mean? Like, yeah. did your mum try and rationalise it to you or in any way? It's a good question. I think we was all trying to rationalise it to mm. each other. Mm. It was... Um, we understood... I don't think we understood it, actually. Mm. I just honestly... It was a blur because it's mm. like, well, how have we ended up here? Mm. My brother reminded me a couple of months ago of my dad calling uh, another local mental health unit that got shut down eventually, mm. a loony bin. You know, he called it a loony bin. I think a lot of people did back in those days. Even exactly. 10 years ago, people did. And, and this, is, this is what I now look at it as, this is my dad's conditioning, that this is a loony bin. And now my dad's in a loony bin in mm. his mind. He is a loony in his mind. Mm. And his two sons, his wife, his friends, his mm. family are visiting him every single day. Now... I know how that would make me feel mm. if I was in that situation as well. Um, but yeah, it's a toxic environment. It wasn't nice at all. Just highly medicated. He came out, um, seemed to be doing better. but mm. was on a lot of medication. Um, but again, my dad was very good at kind of wearing a mask around that kind of period. Mm. Just, just mm. you know, we thought that he was doing okay, but, you know, he obviously wasn't. Mm. Um, one moment stands out to me. Like, my dad was a... You know, he always watched my football games. He refereed. He used to manage the team sometimes. Um, just, I was playing football and he was just watching. And mm. it sounds corny, but just having him watch after him being in a mental health unit, mm. attempting suicide. Must um, be massive for you. It yeah. was amazing, amazing. Um, 
but yeah then then again he kind of you know declined got worse and mm. um as you kind of you know mentioned he he took his life on the 4th of march 2009 mm. so um it was it was it was six months from his initial breakdown mm. to his actual suicide it's a very short period very then. short yeah. um and i honestly say that six months was probably the most draining time of all of our lives mm. and i don't know how sometimes you know people can deal with that for mm. longer periods of time mm. and obviously you mentioned the date that that he took his own life you know if you could just tell me a bit about you know how you found out was it a family member who told you that initial sort of monumental shock and then you know following that the grieving process that you went through yeah so obviously he came out of the mental health unit he seemed to get better then he got worse he went back in for a short period of time come out mm. um and then it was a, a Saturday. He was at my nan and granddad's house because, mm. you know, he, he wanted to go live there for a couple of days. And, you know, we, we said, you know, do what you want to do. Um, and my nan and granddad called and said, like, the night before, he was really bad, kind of, like, went for a walk. And, you know, they're a lot older. They didn't really... And they, and they even saw it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And they'd obviously been visiting him mm. in the mental yeah. health unit. Um, and so me and my mum went down there. And he was upstairs in the bedroom. Mm. And um, I said to mum, I'll go, I'll go. Like, because I didn't know what <laughs> was about mm. to happen. Mm. So I went upstairs and he was kind of curled up in a ball on mm. the bed. Mm. Um, just completely just broken. That was the time where I tried to, he was like, I just want to go for a run. I want to go for a run. I was like, no, 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 dad. Like, we need to get you help. Mm. Um, we're going to call an ambulance. Mm. And that was when he was like trying to get dressed to go mm. for a run, and like I was stopping him, and that's when he kind of raised mm. his fist to me. So it was the worst I'd ever seen. Was in that manic mode, almost a sort yeah. of a period of psychosis, if that yeah, if that's accurate. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it's so such a hard kind of um, thing to explain. Mm. Um, and then the ambulance came. They then took him to another hospital, which was a big issue again. Mm. Um, I don't normally talk about methods, but his first attempt, he called an ambulance mm. to ask for help. They took him into A&E. He got left in A&E, mm. so he left and attempted. Mm. And this happened again. They took mm. him to A&E. I followed down this time, um, and he was sitting there in A&E. And then, it, it, you know, it, it was, there's so much wrong with the system even back then, and it was... You know, I wasn't allowed to be in the the, the psychiatric assessment. Mm. She came out. Your dad's fine to go home. I was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. They had no records of like anything before. Um, long story short, I kind of sat with him um, and waited for transport, which took about sort of 12 hours. Mm. Um, I remember as well, just he kind of laid on the bed and these people next to me said, oh, you know, because my dad looked really young. He mm. said what's the matter of your mate is he had too much to drink oh god yeah and yeah, yeah. it sits with me and I kind of like I remember I just laughed a little bit but that was just what my dad was like he was mm. just laying there on this bed um long story short he got taken to the unit I spoke to him or we all spoke to him on the phone on Sunday um and then yeah he got released on I think it was the Monday mm. um I went down to see him Monday night at my nan and granddad's he was broken mm. he was like sitting this far from mm. me um, but I always kind of explained that I was, we were tired at that point. Mm. I didn't know what to do. We tried to get him back help. He, he was now out, you know, we were hitting the head against a brick wall. Mm. It was late. I went home. I thought I'll check on him the next day. Um, I went to work the next day and I rung my granddad, you know, how's dad? Mm. 
um, yeah, he's all, he's fine. Mm. I rang her again about an hour later. How's dad? Oh, dad's just gone for a walk. And I had this, oh, it's the sinking feeling. <sighs> when you, like, that anxiety, oh, where it just yeah. goes all the way down, isn't it? And it hits you. Just, oh. just not, not, he's, he's 45 years old. You can't stop him from going somewhere. Yeah. But yeah. I, I just, I just had this, like you say, a feeling, feeling that this, yeah. is, like, this is, this could, this could, this could happen. Um, so I kind of gave it like an hour, rung. Mm. How is he? Oh, he's not back. You know, an hour and a half, he's not back. And mm. by that time, it was sort of like, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. I went, I'm going. I, le- mm. I left work, um, drove home. My mum left her work. My brother left mm. his work. We all kind of came back to my nana granddad's um, and he was just, he was missing. Mm. Um, and long story short, my brother and granddad went to the police station with a photo and um, the police identified that he'd taken his own life. Mm. And... Um, my brother and granddad came back from the police station and I remember my granddad walking in the door my granddad's obviously an old mm. older school kind mm. of guy a bit younger back then but yeah yeah. yeah. how old was he then he would have been eight, 84 oh okay yeah he's nice wow so he's, this yeah. is good innings yeah. good innings yeah, he yeah and he just said that's it it's done like that was my granddad's reaction and my brother kind of followed in behind Um, how do you how do you react to that I know just kind of followed in behind and like he wasn't upset but you could just see he was just like just why Mm. Um, and I just cried I cried I punched the kitchen counter Mm. Mm. Um, the neighbour was there and you all kind of come together hug my mum hug Mm. my brother hug everyone my Mm. granddad my nan my nan had cancer at the time. She was crying. Oh, God. Um, and now I always explain this. Three, four hours later, me and my brother are in a fish and chip shop, ordering fish and chips because, you know, we need something to eat. Mm. And the person serving you, mm. and this, this world is still going on around it's, it's, you. Yeah, I get completely get that feeling. But I'm like, my dad's literally, however many hours ago, taking his own life. Mm. And you wake up the next morning, you know, we're all in our bedrooms crying our eyes out and coming together and making sure everyone's all right. But then me and my mum are walking the dog and everyone's like, morning. And, mm. and it's that weird normality, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's, it's a scary, scary, yeah. scary feeling. Um, but yeah, so again, talking about the grief, I'm sure we'll talk about it a bit more, but um, I didn't really grieve very yeah, well. Yeah, sure. First couple of weeks, it's like you're robotic. It's mm. just autopilot, plans. There was press around my dad's suicide, like local press. There was... Um, you know, telling friends, there was mm. people reaching out. Um, and that was pretty much the amount of grieving that I did. And mm. then it kind of all bottled up. Mm. When you talked about, you know, going fish and chips, it's so weird that you say that because my, my, my nan, um, my nan passed away a couple of months ago and I was with her as, as she passed. And my mum, you know, never forgets this, that when, you know, as she was passing and I was holding her hand, there was a packet of custard creams next to her bed. And for some reason I just got a custard cream and just started eating it. And she was like, why did you get a custard? Yeah. I was like, I've got no idea why I decided to eat that custard cream at that moment. But I guess it was like me, my mind trying to keep some level, it, yeah. yeah, some level of normality in a weird way. Um, I think I think for all of us and, and particularly us as men, that, that 18 to 21 bracket is, is enormously important and often tumultuous time in our lives. I can only... You know, my, my my eighteen to twenty one was my university years, and that was when all my mental health issues came to head and exploded mm. to the surface. Um, you know, how did you cope with with losing that father figure at that time when you were 
essentially discovering what it means to be a man in this world. You know, did you turn to anyone else for advice or or guidance when it came to those sort of male issues or or, or how to be a man when when after he passed? No, I struggled. I struggled mm. a lot. Like, I remember cr- I cried. Mm. I got violent. <laughs> mm. um, you know, anger continued. That's all part of grief. Um, but what I used to do a lot of is cry at home on my own. Mm. Like we all, like we, a lot of us men yeah. do. Yeah. And, and even, even I talk about a lot now, drive, I used to drive to work. My drive to work was about 40 minutes. Mm. I quit my job pretty quickly, but the drive to work, I used to spend listening to songs. Me and my dad used to listen to cry and I would then compose myself like five minutes before I arrived. Yeah. Get yourself together. Um, yeah. That's what we walk are. Walk in and yeah. just be like, all right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> And the extrovert like, mask uh, came on, yeah. And, and How are we all doing? Yeah, yeah. good. Oh, it's a brand new day. It's, it's, <laughs> it's scary. And, and I just continued to do that for a long time. I went um, clubbing six days after his suicide. Mm. I remember texting my mates, like, where are we going tonight? And they're like, mm. really? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want, mm. I want to go out. I want mm. to go out. And this boy from college who actually knew my dad from football come up to me. He's like, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. Like, were you really drunk or did you just want to go out and have a dance and sort of that sort of no, way? Was it a bit of a but was it a bit of both? It's just escaping, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. We went to Malia on like a lad's holiday. <laughs> um, how many months that was that was in the May and my dad died. No, that was in June maybe. My dad died in um in March. God, it's two months after it. And that, I mean, for anyone who's been on a lad's holiday, it largely involves a couple of things and one of them is heavy drinking, yeah. so <laughs> But the, the, the looking back on that now, that first night I had a, my first panic attack. Um, really? Yeah, so okay. we, were, we, were, we were drinking, we were drinking, we were in a bar. A lot of the guys I went with knew my dad. They went to my dad's funeral. Um, and my dad's, one of his songs was Chelsea Dagger by the Fratelli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's The football quite, fan classic. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. like a kind of um, upbeat song that people kind of walked into. Mm. And then um, it was a song, the annoying thing was, it was a song that every bloody club played. Every time <laughs> yeah, yeah you're probably in Malia. <laughs> um, <laughs> Even like every weekend they'd yeah. play and I'm like, oh, Just before Will Griggs on Fire yeah, came about. It was, always, it was always like the last kind of... Um, the end song. The end yeah, song to get everyone well, out maybe as well. It was absolutely intoxicated. So we're in this bar before we'd even hit the strip and um, the song came on and all of my mates just... Not all of them, a couple of them just daggered me, just looked at me. Good pun. And I was just <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. And I just, I just, I don't know, I just broke. I just cried. I ran out of the bar. So they knew, they knew instinctively, like when that song might, what was, it it might have triggered basically. Yeah, they just kind of looked at me to say, you all right? And that kind of threw me. Mm. And I just cried. I ran out. A couple of them followed me. I was, I didn't know at the time I was having a panic attack. One of my friends actually said, you're having a panic attack. I have them. Mm. Um, And this is the whole thing with kind of guys and even me back then. It was like, they were like, do you want me to come back to the room with you? Mm, mm. You know, it wasn't, they weren't being nasty or like, man up, like, get on yeah, with it. They yeah, were yeah. being really compassionate. And which, is, which is amazing back then, when exactly. you think about it. And, and then the problem was, I was like, dried the tears. I was like, no, I'm fine, guys. And we went out and we had a night out. And mm. then the next morning, I woke up with this huge anxiety of, wow, I cried last night in front mm, of my friends. Mm. And the first thing that I do is I go downstairs, I start taking the piss out of everyone. And mm. it's like my defensive mechanism to show. Disarm it. Yeah, like, I'm fine. Yeah. Do you remember you last night? Yeah, yeah. That's this? what I do. That's what I did as well. Exactly the and same. Um, and that's how I dealt with it for a long, long time, for a couple of years. Just distractions, distractions, distractions. Mm. Do you think you would have had the panic attack if your friends hadn't had given you that reaction? Mm. Do you think it would have registered or would you, would you think you were a bit too drunk to sort of... That's a good question. Yeah. I think maybe, maybe, I don't know. 
It's hard. It's a hard one, isn't it? Yeah. Because sometimes I think when I have panic attacks about mistakes I've made, but I think if I hadn't, if I hadn't made those mistakes, would I still have panic attacks? Would I still get the anxiety from all the bullying that I had because people would raise it and bring it up and all that sort of stuff? And I think maybe yeah, but maybe not to the to the yeah. degree I have it. If that makes sense. I think a lot of that was me worried what people may you know. Mm. If maybe thinking so like mm. they're looking at me and you know maybe that's them mm. saying oh you're gonna cry mm. And mm. it wasn't that at all but yeah maybe if they didn't look I might have just danced with the sun yeah it's just overthinking isn't it yeah. yeah I think I think the listeners would would really love to know what sort of man you know your dad was as well you know if you can remember what were your sort of favourite memories of him and the times you shared together he was great he was funny uh, he was a, a, a hard worker um he was very dedicated when it comes to running. Mm. Um, my dad was very... What I loved about my dad is he was very sensitive still. Mm. Um, so obviously my granddad, like, like I say, 94, he's that stiff upper lip. Mm. You know, that's just his generation that served him well. My dad had a little bit about that mm. with him. I guess but, it carries on a little bit into the next yeah, generation, like doesn't a, it? If yeah. I had a bad game at football, I'd know about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 I think you we all would. Yeah. You, you were absolutely terrible shit. Today. <laughs> All right, Dad. All right. <laughs> I'm only eight. <laughs> yeah. be like that guy, completely. You know, he was a lot better than you today. All right. Um, and then there was always comparisons to my granddad. Mm. Like if I played like that, you know, granddad would have done this. Yeah, to me. exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, super, super. You know, loving. Would cuddle. Would kiss goodnight. Mm. Love your dad. Mm. Very, very much like that. Um, but yeah, I think that was my dad's my dad's problem. Mm. I don't think he knew what it took to be a man. Mm. And whenever I do my talks now, I always, and as I've just done then, my dad broke overnight mm. to us. Mm. He didn't break overnight in his mind. Mm. Um, my dad was breaking for years and years and years and years, but I think my dad struggled as a man to say, can I tell someone about this? You know, can I talk to my parents can I mm. you know tell my children that I'm having these thoughts mm. um and also now I actually have a lot more education and understanding around OCD mm. um I, I do believe my dad may have had OCD as well okay. um the obsessiveness around running mm. the obsessiveness around having to do things at a certain time mm. without my education around OCD that was my dad being dedicated to to running to run. and exercise and fitness yeah yeah but now I understand intrusive thoughts OCD um I, I worry that maybe my dad did have, mm. have that as well. Obviously, losing a parent at that age is, you know, a huge impact on your life and I can't even comprehend what it must be like. You, you mentioned about, you know, your trip to Malia and that, and that panic attack you had. Um, do you think his passing perhaps made you develop mental health issues of your own? Do you think it exacerbated them, maybe? Or do you think that your mental health issues would have... Would you, you would have probably had them anyway or maybe they were created by other factors? It's a really good question. Um... The biggest problem that I had was, and still is, is that I'll have this huge fear that I'll end up like my dad. Um, so for me, seeing how quick it happened to my dad, mm-hmm. um, as you kind of said, like, you know, my dad <laughs> is this, this superhero in mm-hmm. a way and how quickly he broke and took his own life was, I just could never comprehend it. If you would have told me, at, even up, you know, 17, 18, like, early 18 your dad's going to take his own life I would have laughed you out of the room like, mm. it's just, it just would never have happened um, and so yeah the, the, as soon as that happened the fear that I now carry ever since that has, 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 has been there um, 
depression. I remember I got told I was depressed by the doctors. Um, but I do also look at that and just say to myself, was I just grieving? Mm. Or was I really in a very horrible state of sadness? Yeah. Yeah, It's like, you know, the symptoms of grief and the symptoms of depression are so similar. Mm. Um, was I depressed or was I just grieving? Mm. Even now, you know, like I can be high and happy Mm. and talking about my dad, everything's Mm. okay. And then I can just be laying there and my mind just takes over and I'm Mm. like, I thought I was. I thought I was over this. I thought mm. everything was okay. Mm. So I don't know whether that's depression. I don't know whether that's grief. Um, but yeah, it definitely kind of um, made things worse. Mm. But at the same time, you know, it took me a little bit of. You know, it took me years to get there. But it also opened my eyes a little bit. Mm. You know, it opened my eyes to the fact that I have mental health and I need to look after it. It opened my eyes to the fact that life is short and that can happen to anyone. It opened my eyes to the fact that I don't want to do what my dad did and, you know, you know, work till he was 45 and mm. save for an early retirement. It made me, you know, start a business and mm. do things I'm passionate about. Um, so it's definitely been, someone said it the other day, you know, it's never a breakdown, it's a breakthrough sometimes. Wow, that's a really good way um, to think about it. Yeah, and it's hard saying. It's easier for me to say that now. Now I've been through the process. Of course, of yeah, that. yeah. Um, but but yeah, no. I think I think the 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 biggest thing that I've had from this his suicide is the fear that I'll end up like him. Mm. That's that's the fear that I definitely have sometimes when I think about you know the future and whether I ever have kids and stuff like that. And the last thing I would ever want to do is pass on mm. um, mental health conditions that I have. Um, but I don't want ever that to hinder me sort of taking part in life and, 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 and enjoying myself and stuff like that. Um, you touched on it a bit there, but, you know, how have you used his memory to, to shape the person you are today and, and how you help people through your mental health advocacy work? Yeah, I just, I don't, I never ever saw it like, at the beginning it was purely me just trying to manage it. So I got into some really dark places, just mm. just dark places, just, you know, uh, suicidal, maybe questionable, but, you know, even 2021, not really seeing much future without mm. him in my life. Mm. Like, I cannot get married without him. I cannot do this without him. I need mm. him here. And with suicide grief in particular, it's that unanswered question of why. Or like, what why? if? Yeah, just yeah. what if, why? Like, why does he done, why has he done it? Like, mm. I'm... I don't mind saying this now. I hated him for a long, mm. long time. Mm. I hated myself mm. because I didn't do anything the night before, you know. Um, so, so guilt, that rumination, yeah, yeah just anger, yeah. and just just not knowing why. Mm. Like, I was just like trying to trying to like trying to work it out, just mm. because you see, my dad, he had no reason to take his own life. Mm. You know, why? Why externally would you? Would you know, yeah, happy, just, happy wife, happy kids, exactly. happy family, friend, you know, good he, work, loads of friends. His funeral, like you know, the, the car park had to get, you know, that extra capacity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like people were standing up. You know, people couldn't get in because he had so many, so many people supporting mm. him. Um, so, it it took me a long time to get through all of that. And for me, I think the the suicidal sort of tendencies that I had was more about trying to get into the headspace that he was in mm. to figure it out like how could you do this mm. and the thing that I could never understand and even now I still question it is the physical pain you endure when you take your own life mm. is shocking so it's like the mental pain my dad must have been going through is unimaginable you know mm. to, to, to you know if I think about ways people do it it's like 
wow, that's painful mm. physically. Mm. So the mental pain you must be in is just unbearable. Mm. Um, so it took me a long, long time. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, how can you talk so openly about your dad's suicide? Mm. And especially if, you, if I'm doing public speaking. And, mm. um, but I always remind people, you know, I didn't tell anyone for two to three years. Mm. Then I shared it to Anne, the lady who helped me. Then Anne put me on this huge, I call it a journey, which is a bit mm. cheesy. But, we, we said that a lot know, on the pods, the yeah, journey. Yeah, journey of just like, you know, read this book, do this, mm. and do this. And I was starting to answer these questions. I was sort of unlock to, those parts. Yeah, yeah like understand yeah. myself a little bit more, understand, you know, people around me. Why does that person act that way? Why do mm. I act that way? And then it wasn't until about seven years after his suicide that I wrote a blog post. Mm. The blog post was, you know, I wrote it. It got a really good response. I remember reading these comments crying, just mm. like, wow, this is amazing. My mum was like emotional as well, saying I'm very proud of you. But it still took me another year after that to, I think, write my next mm. blog post because I still wasn't ready. And then the public speaking came. So, I've, you know, the, 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 the meaning for me to do the work that I'm doing now is to help people like my dad. Mm. But also now I'm a dad, it's more about setting up a brighter, better society for the next generation. And giving people well. hope. Yeah, yeah, giving people hope. Mm. And, and I do have to remind people of that. They're like, oh God, I want to share my story. And it's like, mm. okay. But I have to try and remind them, you know, it took me... <laughs> A long time, to me a long time as well, to me, I mean, from when I started being bullied, which was seven, to when it ended at 16, and then I didn't talk about it at all until I was 21, when I did that first blog post on Vent, there was a a video that you did, I think from a public speaking um, gig that you did a while ago, and it was it was you sort of talking to your dad and it was like a letter that you had written. Yeah. Is that right? Um, I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, if I could. Um, let's pretend he's listening into this conversation right now. You know, you've achieved all that you have. You're a loving father. You're a role model to your children and you're also an incredibly resilient human being. What do you think you would say to him? Oh, that's a tough one. Mm. Um, I think I'd just tell him I love him. You know, yeah. I love him and... Um, you know that that I that I'm I'm there for him. Mm. We're all there for him. Mm. Um, I think the big problem that I had or I did was trying to solve his problem, mm. and I think we all did. And the I think, fixer, yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's, I talk a lot about it now because it's just natural. I didn't want my dad to feel that way. Mm. Also, I didn't want him to feel that way because I was scared of what he would do, which would then mean that I'd have to deal with it. Mm. So it's very much me protecting myself of like, you know. I just, I just never, I, I, at that time I couldn't hear him say the words, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Mm. So I did everything that I could to not hear those words. Mm. Like, to on, prevent let's, it. Yeah, let's yeah. go for a drink, yeah. let's do this, yeah. come on, you, got, you know, everything's going to be fine. Um, so I think I would just, just tell him that, you know, I love him, I'm there for him. And it sounds, again, it's, 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 it's strange, but when you've lost someone, you, you just, you just want to like, see them and hug them does that mm. make sense mm. no no 100% I don't know if I say anything it's just, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just hugging just pure emotion and, yeah yeah, just, yeah. Um, yeah it's a good question though. it's throwing me a little bit <laughs> this is what we do on the pod mate this is what we do on the pod this is why <laughs> I mean, it's different yeah that yeah that's throwing me a little bit yeah you know all of the experience these experiences we discussed are in your book Man Up Man Down which we'll put um, a description in the pod so people can, can buy it for themselves I think it's such a powerful title um, for those who haven't read the book, just tell the listeners a bit about it and why you decided to write it. The book essentially was, you know, as I said, I started to write first. Um, and the, 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 the article that I sort of pushed out there 
was just like a small section of a lot mm. of the stuff that I'd already wrote, um, mm. written. So the book kind of stemmed from that. Originally, the book was going to be a little bit about my story mm. and then sort of nine or ten ways to kind of navigate through grief, grief around mm. suicide, mm. which I know sounds bad, but looking back on it, I would kind of wish we still did that. Oh, okay. Um, but the book then turned into, because it was part of what they call an inspirational series, mm. which is um, from the publisher's Trigger Press, it was, we want to turn it into your story. Mm. So, a positive message, an yeah. uplifting one, yeah. And there's, there's still a lot of lessons in there. Mm. So, you know, everything we've kind of touched on, the book, I always kind of say to people, the book's more detailed. Because mm. um, you haven't got time to go into all of that, exactly, as much as I'd like exactly. to. Yeah. So the, book is always, the book for me is always a good kind of, point to reference and say look you know the book's there if you want to find out more it's a purely a personal story about how I started to get help how that journey began I thought I was doing well I fell off the wagon again mm-hmm. you know a lot of it was driven it's not by a straight money. line you know yeah. there's a lot of you know business stuff in there as well and it's kind of um the journey through um but it does touch a lot on masculinity as well mm. just just you know trying to figure out what my dad felt it was like to be a man my granddad mm. me you know then I become a father to, to boys mm. what does it mean for them mm. so there's a lot of masculinity as mm. well we we were discussing when we were talking about doing this pod about parenting and, and how you adjusted to to fatherhood without that support of your dad and your sons now would have been granddad to to help you through it um first of all you're 29 is that right yeah yeah I think I'm glad I got that one right um and you've got two children both boys. Mm-hmm. So how old are they? So Freddie is my stepson. He is... Freddie's coming back as a name. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, he's 10. I met him when he was 18 months old. Mm. So I met Amy, my wife. Um, we, she had Freddie young. She had Freddie when she was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, we were dating for a little bit. You know, it took about eight months before I met Freddie. And then I met Freddie and um, sort of been in his life since mm. now he's 10 and then we've got teddy mm. so we've got freddie and teddy which i is, love that i don't anymore it's like <laughs> i love that i get their names mixed up oh. already and i'm only 29 <laughs> um and teddy is free okay so yeah so i mean you became a father quite young yeah how how did you get used to that? did you ever feel ready to become a father i mean i don't no. i know that no one ever feels ready to become a dad but to be to, be, to become a father quite young especially to, to two boys how did you adjust to that it was hard, and, and again, I, I touched on it a little bit in the book. I never really thought of it this way, but when I met Amy, she had Freddie young, mm. so she had to mature, mm. um, and she had, like, her own place. Mm. So we met. I, I did a bit of bar work. She was a waitress. We kind of met. Um, it was very casual at the mm. beginning. And I look back on it now, and what Amy was was maturity at that time. Mm. Like, at that time, I was, what, probably 20, 20 I was 21. Mm. So just about two years after my dad died. Maybe I met her about when I was 20, actually. And um, I was all over the place. Like, mm. just out every month. Which is months, natural. Just, just, yeah, just completely, like, you know, out. And she was, she was the maturity that I really was kind of drawn towards. Um, but yeah, it took a while to meet Freddie. I didn't want to meet Freddie. I was just mm. like, no, 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 I'm not ready. Mm. To be a, Which is also natural. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't like, oh, I'm, I want to be a stepdad. You're a 21-year-old boy. I'm falling in love with this girl who's got, you know, a child. And again, like I said, there was no intention at the beginning. It was like, oh, just, you know, just see how this goes. Mm. And then it become a point of, you know, okay, I'm falling in love with her. So, you know, I need to look at, you know... The future the and future how this is going like, to go, if, yeah. If we are going to 
be in a relationship, then I need to be open to, mm. to meeting Freddie. And, and she was great as well. She was very protective. It's a big decision for you to make, though, as well. Yeah. It's not a lot a decision a lot of boys would, would either and, and make if, or make lightly either. Exactly. And if I'm honest, you know, it wasn't a decision that was made. It was literally, it happened. Mm. I then ran. <laughs> um, you know, I was reluctant to move in for a long, long time. Mm. I know she wanted... To, you know, this was sort of a couple of years after, you know, mm. should we move in together? Mm. Mm, no, you know, I mm. wasn't ready to be the full-time dad. Mm. Um, I'd go to Freddie, I'd take Freddie to school. I'd go to like a lot of, you know, events. We'd spend the weekends together, but I still wasn't ready to, mm. to, to, to be that full-time um, dad in a way. Mm. Uh, then we did, we, we kind of moved in, everything was going, you know, swimmingly. And then, and then I ran, I mm. went, I split up, mm. I went traveling. Mm. Um, I wanted to be single. I thought the grass was greener. Mm. Um, I then came back and realized the egos <laughs> quickly, the shri- quickly way. shifted. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I realized I made a mistake. I had to do some groveling. So I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and again, Amy was amazing. She, she said, "All right, but if you're gonna, if we're gonna do this, we've got to this do is this. it now." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then we we got a house together. We then, um, and this was the thing as well. So Freddie was about five mm. at this point, and she said, "Like, you know, should we should we try?" Mm. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, let's let's, let's try." Mm. And she fell pregnant super quick. And well I remember, done. I remember. Her, <laughs> I remember her. Saying, that was quick. <laughs> no, but I remember her saying that like, I'm pregnant, and I was like. Oh, and she said, she remembers it vividly. She was like, I did not expect that, that response. <laughs> um, so even looking, looking on that, it was like, I don't think I was ready then. And I talk a lot about it in the book and she wrote my Sam. We, we struggled. She had um, various miscarriages. Mm. Um, and again, it's one of those things that I've now learned along the way that you expect you can just have a baby like that. And mm. it wasn't It's the not case. a straight line either. It wasn't yeah. the case for us. It took us three years um, after that. And then, and then when Teddy was born, you know, it was like, wow, this is what we've been waiting for. Mm. Again, I think everything is timing. Mm. I think we still wasn't ready at that time in the relationship. By the time Teddy was born, we were more stable. We were, you know, we were, I'd proposed to her when she was pregnant. Um, it must have been stress for her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the she endorphin was, rush must have been mad was, to manage. <laughs> this is, I, I, was, I was scared of getting married. I didn't want to get married. Like, I, didn't, I didn't want a wedding without my dad. Mm. Um, um, so, so, yeah we got married when Teddy was born but just quickly the one thing that sticks with me as well is when Teddy was born it's an amazing feeling mm. and then I remember a lot of it's probably sleep deprivation mm. um, but I remember going in to feed him this was when he was a couple of months old because Amy always reminds me that I didn't do a lot of this, like, the first couple of months um, it's a mother's, mother's thing um, I, did, I did do a lot but there's this I think there's this scary connection between mum and baby like she used to wake up a couple of minutes before he woke up in the night or like out of like some intuition that he would do wow that is mad and she used to say you should just snore through it all (laughs) Um, but but yeah so I'm feeding him his bottle and I'm looking at him and I remember just just crying just and there was this huge huge thing that came over me of going like a rush but it was like no but it was it was it was happiness but it was sad because I was like how could you do this to me dad oh I see so that's like like coming back yeah and then it was like could I do this you like mm. could I could I take my and mm. I had this huge horrible fear of like what would that do to this baby mm. if I was to take my own life um so you started so you had so you got into that period where you had started to empathize and get that compassionate you know understanding of why your dad did it and then when you when this happened you were yeah. sort of you sort of started to regress a little bit because yeah. you're saying how could I how could you possibly do this and stuff yeah like and it's, it's again like you know I think 
it's, it's important that we're honest about these conversations. Mm. It's, it's the most amazing, powerful time in, in my life, but it was also a very difficult time for all of us. And, mm. and I did really, really struggle to deal with the fact that my dad would never, would never meet him, mm. like just that he's, he's not there. Mm. How do you think you'll, you'll use these experiences you've had to teach your sons about mental health and also what it means to be a man as well? I mean, Freddie, with, with him, like, I, you know, I try and tell him to just be open, be mm. honest, mm. Just, just tell us how you're feeling. Um, he's done a video. With I've him. seen that one. That was a great video. I messaged you about that. Yeah, he's... Um, he's already got the social media skills, man. He's yeah. trained for jobs in the future what, life. When I was on Sky News, I was like, right, you're having a day of school, come and meet Sky <laughs> News. Um, which his teachers didn't really like. But, you know, he, he's kind of like... He had, they gave him the headphones. He was like the producer. Oh, really? He loved it. Um, that must have been so great for him. Like, to think yeah. about, like, imagine, I can't even imagine what it would be like if I was, like, doing that as a 10-year-old. Like, in yeah. like Sky News studio, your dad's on yeah. TV. Yeah. God. That's, I mean, that's... But again, you know, Teddy's different because Teddy's free. just just makes a mess at the moment. And... Um, mm. Bit and chaotic. He's, he's, got, he's got a real personality on him. Um, but yeah, Freddie, we've always kind of told him, you know, be open, be honest. Mm. Um, but even that, you know, there's so many lessons in being a parent, you know, I'm, I'm going through it at the moment of just mm. how do you parent a 10 year old? And, mm. um, there's, especially in this day and age. Yeah. Right? And it's yeah. like, you know, so different to when we were growing him, up. Yeah. I tell him like, you can tell us anything, but I remember my mum was the same. I was so close to my mum, but I didn't tell her everything. I didn't tell my mum anything. Exactly. You just, you just don't. <laughs> anything. So, literally so like, anything. I'm like, you can tell me anything, Freddie. And then when he doesn't tell me something, I'm like, you know, why didn't you tell me? Mm. You can always tell me. Mm. But I have to realise that maybe he just doesn't want to tell mm. me. Like, it doesn't, doesn't mean um, anything against it. Mm. But it just one thing that I've learned about parenthood is um, just how much I now respect my mum mm. and, and my dad as well. And there was an amazing quote that I saw the other day that says, um, when I was growing up, I didn't realise my parents were growing up too. Mm. and I think it's so amazing because I sat down with Freddie the other day and we were like trying to figure out some things because mm. he's kind of you know worried about this and mm. um, we're trying to parent him a certain way and mm. it's, not, it's not really it's kind of working at the moment and I remember sitting him down with me and Amy and I both, we both said like you got to remember, Freddie, we've never parented a 10-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're yeah, trying yeah. to figure this out. Yeah. It's like there's no manual for yeah. being a parent. I'm like we are doing our best um, and we're trying to figure it out. And then I remember vividly, like when I was about five or six, seeing my mum and just seeing her as this person who had all the answers. And she what was you like, do when you're a kid. You think, and you actually, when you get older, you go, everyone's just winging it. She was twenty. <laughs> I think she was twenty-seven, and I'm yeah. like, geez, like how? How? I saw her as a twenty-seven-year-old who's my mum, who had every answer, who was going to be there and do everything. Because you I do when you're your mum, you do see that when. You, and then, yeah. and then I, I speak to her about it now, and she's like, no, I'm just, I'm just trying to figure it out. Mm. You know, how conscious of you are you of? of your sons to see your mental health, so to speak. So, you know, see when you're being vulnerable or see when you're, str- when you're struggling, if that's a better way to put it, you know. Are you conscious of that? Um, do you want them to see that? Or there's still times when you've been quite low and you want to protect them from it, if that makes sense? It's a good question. I think it's a bit of both. Sometimes I can, I can get short with them. I can get angry. Mm. Um, and one thing that I've tried to do with Freddie is explain it. Mm. So I might get, I might get angry. And I might shout, and then again, you know, no one's perfect. I might shout at them and say da 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 da, and then I'll sit back and I think, and then maybe the next morning when I'm driving into school, I'll say to Freddie, "Look, and I'm 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 very open to say, Freddie, like, I'm really sorry for shouting at you yesterday. Like, I know you shouldn't have done this, mm. but I would just want to let you know that I'm not feeling mm. great at the moment, and that's mm. why I got quite angry. Mm. Um, 
but I'm feeling better today. Like, mm. And just, just try, try and talk them through it. I think we kind of forget how clever kids are sometimes. Mm. Um, but yeah, even with the whole suicide talk, you know, he he started to question, you know, what happened to my dad. It's going to about that was my next question. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, kind, yeah. we kind of hid it from him for a long time. Um, but I remember having the conversation with him. It was just me and him. He must have been about eight. And I remember the first thing, obviously didn't go into any methods, but mm. I was Googling it. How mm. do you explain to your child that mm. someone's taken their own life? And I tried to explain it to him how he was unwell, but he was unwell in his mind and he didn't feel like he could go on any longer. Mm. And I remember him just saying, like, oh, that's, that's so sad. He says, I just feel so sad for you. And like, that was his first wow. reaction. What a reaction. And then he had like a kid reaction of like, you know, what did he do? Did you just yeah. get a knife? Yeah. And it was like, the unfiltered, no, 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 no. The unfiltered <laughs> yeah. questions, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> no, 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 let's not go there. Um, but yeah, I just think, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being vulnerable around your kids. Mm. And when it comes to their own mental health and how to manage them, how to manage their own mental health, basically, are you a father that will try and help them through that? Are you someone that will try and maybe let them develop those ideals on their own and how to manage it for themselves or do they need a bit of guidance or is it a bit of both? I think I'm trying to figure that out. Mm. You know, at the moment, you know... Because they're still very young but they've got mental... I mean, I had mental health when I was seven. Exactly. At at the moment, the biggest problem that I have is I'm so attached to them. Like, Mm. I'm I'm, I'm an empath and I've kind of had to learn this as well. I'm very attached to everyone. Mm. Like, my mum, my brother, my wife, my kids. I'm always not on edge but I'm always like are they okay mm. like can I do something for them and I'm finding that difficult now as Freddie gets older in mm. particular Teddy still needs us mm. he's, like he can't he can't, can't do, do anything himself yeah <laughs> he, he does, he does he's, I still can't do a lot for myself yeah. to be honest it's different with him because he looks up to his older brother and he, I was the same so I've got an older brother he's like yeah I want to get dressed like he'll dress mm. himself he's more mm. like that but um, with Freddie what I'm starting to learn is that you know, he has his own path. Mm. Like, he was upset yesterday and Amy rang me and she said he's really upset and then it sits with me the whole day mm. and I want to see him, I want to make sure he's all right and then this morning he just wakes up and he's he's fine. I have a little talk to him about it and he's 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 honestly, you know, and I, I'm, I'm good now, I'm good. Mm. And it's one of those things that you want to protect them but at the same time you've got to let them mm. live their and life. And do you want to push bit. it and maybe delve in or do you think it'll make them more upset? Exactly, yeah. I, think it's, I think it's just trusting... I'm 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 a little bit spiritual to be honest, but I trust that he has his path, mm. like Teddy does. I have, everyone has, mm. and we kind of just have to trust it a little bit as well. We have to be there for them, help them, but I think sometimes we can try and control them, and it mm. has a negative effect. And finally, I think the the best question I could ask for this topic is: What is the 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 biggest thing that you've learned about being a dad? about yourself or just about how you deal with other people what is that one put yourself one first wow Massively. okay yeah just just honestly it's, again I think it, we're, we're told sometimes it's selfish if we do that mm. but if I'm not doing if I'm not looking after me I'm not the greatest dad mm. because you know I don't feel good so I'm sharp I'm you know if I'm looking after me if I'm doing stuff that I enjoy if I'm you know, maybe spending 10 minutes in the morning mm. to read or meditate or whatever it is. I don't do much of that now. Anyway. <laughs> to um, that time, probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But just do something for me. I can then be a much better parent. 
Mm. And it's the same with the talks. Mm. I, I don't mind cancelling talks if I'm not in a good place. Mm. If someone wants help, I don't mind sort of stepping away if I'm not in a good place. Mm. And do you and Amy both have that as well? So she will say, right, I need to, whatever hobby she might have, you know, I want to go read, I want to go for a run, but just to take myself out of that space so I can get a bit better because I might be feeling low. Yeah, I think we try to encourage it. Mm. Um, we try to encourage it of each other. But she's amazing. Like she's she's the the person. Big shout out to Amy on the pod. Yeah, she's she's the person behind the scenes that does keeps everything, everything ticking. Why, yeah, why yeah, I go to yeah. work and do all yeah. this stuff and get all the credit. And she's the one who. Um, <laughs> well, she's getting the credit on this yeah, one. I'll no, tell you that she's, much. She's she's the one who does does everything for the kids really. And um, you know, I, I do as much as I I can. Um, but I also again, people might frown upon this, but I know that if I don't do this. I don't think I'd be happy. Mm. Um, I, I need to do it. I need to do it. It's meaning in my life. It's purpose in my life that makes me happy that then when I'm at home, I'm happy and, you know, hopefully it rubs off on, on my children. Someone once said to me, actually, which is probably a good thing to end on that section, is um, you could be the best parent by what you do rather than what you say. Wow. And I it. think if they can see me doing something that I enjoy and trying to help people and, you know, hopefully that will rub off from them a lot more than if I'm physically there, but, you know, not in a very good place. I think the next topic to talk about, Paul, which is one we can segue nicely into, is how you've developed yourself into a mental health advocate and a public speaker as well. So first of all, this may be a bit of an obvious question given what we've discussed, but what made you want to be a mental health advocate in particular and turn your experiences to something which you could spread as a positive message? I know I struggled a lot in the initial stages of being seen as a mental health advocate, so to speak. Well, did you ever struggle with that label as well? I'm not sure whether I set off to be... I don't think anyone ever does, do they? No, I don't, I don't know. I mean, again, it started with the article and then I started to dabble in a little bit of coaching, actually, as well. Mm. I was doing a little bit of coaching with some people. Like life coaching? Yeah, or I mean... Uh, football? <laughs> no, yeah, more life coaching, yeah. Well, that would have enjoyed football coaching, actually. Um, but I just didn't really like the term life coach. Um, it was more like working with guys and sort of sharing experiences and... Um, Mental. Yeah, helping them that way. And if I'm quite honest with you, the biggest reason what held me back from going all in on it was, was purely money. It was like how, mm. how I want to do this. That's not this, a bad thing. This, we we yeah, all need to like, get ahead in life, you know. for me, but like how can I make this so it's a full-time mm. thing? Um, and what really helped was actually shifting my whole... Um, <laughs> And shifting my whole perspective of money. Mm. So um, obviously, previous to that, I had a fashion business. It was just kind of you know reached its point where mm. I was passionate about the business side of it, just just not what I was doing. Mm. Um, and one of the reasons why I didn't do mental health advocacy earlier is because again, I couldn't get the money that maybe I needed to sustain the lifestyle that I was leading. Um, then then I had we had a, a moment in our life. My brother um, he had a an accident at work mm. uh, about two and a half years ago and it was you know changed his life you know you know left him brain damaged and you know he's still battling now um to physically recover mentally he's fine he's still got the same shit sense of humor <laughs> and, um we still enjoy watching the office so thankfully he didn't change his his personality or his mental state too much because exactly. i think that, that could be a big thing that can, and again that was a huge lesson for me of mental versus physical health it's mm. like 
those patients in his ward. He spent a year in hospital recovering from this from this injury, mm. and um, he's still recovering today. But a year in hospital, and there's patients that are walking around, but you know they don't know who they are, or yeah, you know. Yeah. And the scary thing with that, actually, as well, just on that point, is it's just the just the comparison between this brain injury unit my brother was in and a mental health unit. Mm. It was it was kind of scary to see the the similarities. Mm. Um, but that for me was a massive wake up call because I just got married. I was I found myself in quite a bit of debt. Um, I was renting this house, which was you know five bedroom, about fifteen hundred pound a month. Um, we had bills. Good value was, back then. It's what uh, you can get now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was pretty good back then. But we had bills. We had a, we just had a baby. We'd had a wedding, and I was just getting and and I was just you know had this front that everything was going well. The business was bringing in money, but I was spending, mm. you know, far more. And that was the wake-up call for me of like, wow. Like, my brother went to work, this happened. You know, if this happened to me, what's going to happen? And that was the day that I decided to, to be honest about where we were with money. Um, me and Amy moved in and lived with her mum and dad mm. for a year. I mean, that's a massive dent to the ego when, when all of your mates see you in this big house and now the next stage of your life mm. is you've just got married in Italy, which is an amazing mm. wedding. But now you've moved in with your mother and father. But it's normal for a lot of people our age, well, yeah. your age and especially yeah. my age. But that was the biggest lesson that I've learned. Mm. Actually, we don't need these huge houses. We don't need this. So, so then that was the journey of stripping back the expenses. My expenses got stripped all the way back. We went and bought a uh, a nice little, um, a nice little house, three bedroom house that we live in now. We've renovated it. Um, but then there was a point where my expenses were a lot lower. I'd paid off debt because we lived at Amy's mum and dad's. Um, and now there was a time of actually, you know, let's, let's do something. Mm. Let's, let's try and try and do something that I want to do, do and enjoy. And that was um, doing more campaigning work. Mm. And, and the first year of, of doing it was, was a terrible business because I was doing talks for free. I was putting stuff on social media every single day with no response really, just, you know, nothing. And then I started to get a little bit of money and then it got more and got more. Mm. And then, it now is, is very much doing talks in the corporate space. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was there was no overnight. Mm. And was there one particular moment where you thought, you know, this is it, this is what I want to do for a living? Or was it something that you think sort of grew organically, you became more confident and you you saw the, the, the results of it basically, both in financial sense and for your, your own mental state? I think it's just enjoying it. I remember I, I used to do a lot of content and videos around fashion, like men's fashion. Mm. And I used to quite enjoy it, but it was always, I'm going to create this video because it's going to get X amount of views, which means I'm going to get X amount of money. Mm. And then I would do a video. I did this one video where it's just me in my lounge talking about my dad and why men kill themselves and suicide and what I've learned. And I just, I just flew through it. It was like I was in this state of just being able to do it. And every time I did videos about mental health, I just felt good. Like mm. I could just talk openly about it. Mm. Um, and then there was a moment in America, I went to a conference in America with these YouTubers and they asked me, can you do a talk about how you became a lecturer at the London College of Fashion? Because um, I've become a lecturer at 21 and they wanted me to do this talk. Very about, young. They wanted me to do this talk about how it happened. And I was just like, I have no interest at all. <laughs> <laughs> just talking about that for half an hour on stage. Um, so I said to them, like, do you guys mind if I talk about depression? And they were just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and given them their due, I've said it from day one, you know, they're both really big YouTubers combined. I think they've got about 8 million subscribers between them. They oh, do wow. like men's style videos. 
they both said, you know, let's do it. Let's do it. Come and talk about my depression. Mm. And that was the first time on stage I shared the story. That's the first, very first time. Very first time in front of two hundred people. Did you like did you people. want to, or did you did, did it just come out? And, I wanted to. Yeah. I really wanted to, and I practiced it in the room the night before, and I cried my eyes out like a baby. Really? Because you wanted you had to prepare yourself not yeah, to yeah, kind yeah. of yeah yeah yeah. It's one of those things that I wanted to be a bit emotional, but like not in in not the end when I derail the, you. Yeah, yeah, when I did the talk, I was the opposite. I was like a robot. Oh I, really? I like, Plus, people must be thinking, bloody hell, yeah. he's just he's just coming off the bat. I'd let off so much emotion. And there was, there was these two guys that stood, to stood up at the front and gave me like standing applause. And I was like, wow. Um, and that was the first time I spoke about it on stage. And that was, that was the, the, the catalyst for me of, I want to do this more. Mm. Since I wrote my first article about mental health and, and when you did yours, um, and I joined this mental health community in this space, oftentimes I've been conscious not to let vent or my mental health define my identity. Um, it's certainly a part of it. Um, I often try and uh, draw the attention away from me a lot of the time when it comes to events because I always, I always want the attention to be on the champions, the people who've gone on this journey themselves through it. Um, but I do worry sometimes people might prioritise it above, you know, just enjoying themselves or maybe come but perhaps too wrapped in it because they just, they just so want to help people, if that makes sense. You know, mm. do, you, do you ever feel that pressure as well or, or worry in the work that you do? Yeah, 100%. If I go to the pub with my mates, I don't want to talk about mental health. <laughs> like, I'm exactly the same. You know, sometimes Amy's amazing because like, I'll just come in and sometimes it's just like, you're all right? Yeah. And it's like, all right. And she won't, she won't dive into it. And mm. you know, if, if, she, if I do want to dive into it, I'll talk to her. Um, so yeah, I definitely need that escape. Mm. You know, when I did um, Mental Health Awareness Week, I think mm. I shared the story... You must have done a 11 lot. Eleven times yeah. in like four days. Yeah. And on that Friday, I didn't have any talks booked. And I, Amy doesn't know this. I, I booked a spa day for me. <laughs> <laughs> Just me. I was like, right, on Friday, I'm going to go to this spa. Turn like, your phone <laughs> off. <laughs> Where's he gone? Yeah, I didn't want to tell her that because she might think, oh, why don't you get me that? Um, and I just had to detach, like, just completely... Don't even mention the word mental health to me for like the whole day. Mm. So yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely for that. You have to find the balance as well. Mm. And how do you use these these public speaking gigs and these lectures to develop yourself as well as help other people? You're all, I'm always learning. Even mm. podcasts. This has been a great podcast. Oh, thanks, it's, man. It's, 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 you dive deeper. Mm. So the, the, the talk has developed, but it's developed naturally. Mm. So like I'll dive into it. Sometimes it's, it's weird. I'll start talking about a part of what happened or mm. what I learned and I'm like I never shared that before mm. I and get that as well I'll latch yeah. on to that and then the next talk I do that's then a part of the presentation and it comes a bit more normalised yeah, yeah it's kind yeah. of been developed the presentation's been developed um, and even with podcasts like I say you know I did one yesterday sometimes with questions you dive a little bit deeper and you remember something mm. so the way I the way I explain it is like I'm basically if I if I'm doing a talk if I'm getting paid or I'm not getting paid it's therapy mm. like, <laughs> exactly no that's what therapy it is it is, is talking free. therapy yeah it's free and a lot of people do say that really kindly when they come on the pod and they're just like yeah it was like being in a therapy yeah, session yeah. I was like oh thanks exactly. thanks I pre- if that's the if that's the aim I'm going for then I'll yeah, take yeah, it um, public speaking is something you you know you do quite a lot with it's live events radio shows conferences um did you do you ever have a bit of anxiety when you do public speaking, or is it is it just that sort of natural nerves and excitement that you get? Now it's more of just you, I have a bit I have some nerves, and someone said to me the day you don't have any nerves is the day you should quit. Um, 
But also what I was very fortunate about as well is, so I hated public speaking. Mm. I, I used to call in, I used to throw a sickie if I had to stand up in front of class and mm. do, do a talk. I was quite, I was quite extroverted, like on the playground playing football, but mm. you know, I hated all of that. And then at 20, I had an email. I was in Ionapa with my mates the next holiday. Another big lads holiday. Lads holiday. <laughs> I had this email come in. Can you do a talk at the London College of Fashion mm. talking about your business? Um, and I was just like, no. Yeah. And then at the bottom, it was like, we will pay you. It was £350. When, where do I sign yeah. up? And I, was, I, was, I looked at my mates, I was like, £350 for half an hour's talk. I was like, I've got to do it. Um, <laughs> but leading up to that, I, I was with Amy then. Like, I used to practice to her. I didn't sleep probably properly for about four or five days leading up to it. Mm. I remember arriving at the event, mm. seeing people speak, sweating. Like, mm. That's what I did when like, I got off the stage. On stage. The endorphin so, rush was oh, ridiculous. So nervous, but I practiced this presentation so much. I was like a robot. I can't even remember what I said. Mm. Um, you don't do you because it's just a blur. You do it, the weird. adrenaline's it's going. so weird. And then, and then obviously one person thought it was good. So she said, come back in six months time. I did it again. And then someone in the audience that day was part of short courses mm. and she said I want you to can you do a lecture on um, social media mm. so I started to lecture at 21 first time I walked into lecture absolutely bricking it mm. same thing again then I did more talks around business and fashion mm. for years built up the confidence of public speaking bigger audiences trade shows 200-300 people so by the time I stood on stage to talk about mental health Mm. I'd almost dealt with the public speaking nerves. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. So it wasn't like first public speaking I did was me talking about my dad's suicide. It was I'd already dealt with how do you deal with a crowd, mm. all of that adrenaline side of it. That de- talking about my dad was a lot, mm. lot easier. And just finally, um, a really good thing I, I wanted to pick up on is a, is a video that you did when you talked about this idea of not one in four, but one in one. Just tell me a little bit about that and what you mean by, by that. Yeah, just, just the fact that we all have mental health. Um, one thing that I've come to realise is everyone has it. Everyone has it at different levels, but everyone has it. And I think we need to start remembering that. It's physical health and mental health is very much the same. We, we both, everyone, everyone has it. And I was treating everyone so differently, but then what I come to realise is the guy that I was judging, because he was falling asleep through my presentation would come up to me at the end and say, I'm sorry, you know, it didn't really, you know, it really struck a chord with me, but, you know, I've been struggling with depression, mm. I haven't been sleeping well mm. over the last couple of days. Whereas my mind's like, that guy's an idiot because he's fallen asleep. Or oh, he's really hungover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then I Might have been me as well in yeah. previous lectures. <laughs> and and you, just, you just were so quick at judging everyone. And then I started to realise everyone has mental health. Like, we have it. It's just, we should be able to talk about it. And that's one of my biggest aims with all the work I do is, is try and normalise the conversation. We should be able to have this conversation if we want to with anyone um, and talk more openly about it. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this edition of the Just Checking In podcast. Paul, thank you so much for, for being my special guest on this edition's pod. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Just quickly, for the listeners who want to keep an eye on what you're doing in the future, where can they find you on social media? Everywhere. Um, <laughs> Instagram is pmcgregor.com. Same with Twitter. Same with Facebook. LinkedIn. I'm even dabbling with TikTok at the moment. Have you seen TikTok? Yes, I am aware of TikToks. It's yeah, a big thing. I'm dabbling with that. So yeah, pretty much everywhere. Excellent. excellent. Um, so as always, I want to thank all the vendors who tuned into this edition of the pod. And if you've liked what you've heard, please give this a share on all the usual social media channels. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. Or if you're feeling really generous, write a review on iTunes. We hope to check in with you again very soon. And remember, it's always okay to vent.